Dancing with a Black Elephant? Who's Dancing with a Black Elephant? What is Dancing with a Black Elephant? Who's Dancing with a Black Elephant? Dancing with the Black Elephant? From Yeshiva University, this is Andrew Boyarski, and you are listening to Dancing with the Black Elephant. I'm here with Douglas Graham, who is CEO of Ideation Incorporated, a company that is building an enterprise resource platform using blockchain for managing innovation in enterprises and funding early stage innovation. He is an author of the book Ideation, The Birth and Death of Ideas, published by Wiley. He was managing director at KPMG and led an eight-figure award-winning consulting practice focused on cybersecurity, governance, and compliance. He led three successful venture-funded startups, each with a successful exit for investors, and built nine industry-wide exchanges, now with revenues over $30 billion. He has developed a cryptocurrency for use by central banks and a framework that facilitates the development of blockchain applications. Douglas, I want to thank you very much for joining the podcast again. Thank you for inviting me back. Douglas, you were one of my first guests on the podcast going back to episode five when we discussed blockchain technology. So for those who want a primer on blockchain, I would encourage you to go back and to listen to that episode. Last week, you were one of our panel speakers at a live event titled InsureTech, Blockchain's Impact on Risk, Security, and Data Law, held at the Cardozo Law School, which is one of the schools of Yeshiva University, along with the CAT School that I work for. This was a fascinating discussion preceded by presentations on your current work, and I want to start off with two startling points you raised in your presentation. This is that risks that most organizations currently manage make up around 13% of the value of the company. These are tangible assets and hard assets and liabilities. 87% of the firm's assets are in intangible assets intellectual property such as patents, copyrights, and trade secrets. The other startling fact is looking at global trade of some $41 trillion, 78% is in intangible goods, 20.5% in services, and in intangibles, less than 1%. Why the discrepancy and what opportunity does this present? Why the discrepancy is the question we asked ourselves, and we spent a good many years trying to answer that question because it, it is enormous. 80, 87% approximately of value is represented by intellectual assets, but less than 1% of trade. The total trade in intellectual assets, you know, from the best estimates we can get from the World Bank, is about $365 billion. So that's well less than 1%. The reasons that we determined over time, and we put in the book, uh, are many, but two particularly important ones. I think the fact that the intellectual assets are typically secret and remain secret for much of their life or, in many cases, for all of their life. So it makes it very difficult to trade a market in the way one normally would when you're dealing with an asset that's secret. And the second one is that most great ideas fail early on. Um, this is what the venture capitalists often refer to as the valley of death. You know, the first eight months or year of a new idea, when they're struggling to get some recognition, get some acceptance, build it out, perhaps figure out some way to get some form of legal protection, 
and and in particular get a little bit of funding for doing these activities. And typically not a lot is needed, maybe forty, fifty thousand dollars. But that's why it's so difficult to raise because you know, a typical firm's due diligence will cost about fifty thousand. So they don't want to spend fifty thousand dollars to invest forty thousand dollars. So those are the two main reasons, I think. One of these aspects is, if I, if I understand it correctly, is the problem of, let's say, commercializing an idea. And as any entrepreneur who has been in business has uh, come up against is the idea of how do you turn that idea and make it viable? How do you get people to pay for it, whether it's a service or some type of physical product? How does ideation and the platform that you uh, have solved this problem? Well, when you look at um, the first step of getting something commercialized, it, you, you've got to find the partners who's interested in it. And as we live in an increasingly compartmentalized world where a specialty is typically highly specialized, you're, you're dealing with not just conductivity, but superconductivity and superconductivity that occurs at high temperatures or you're dealing with cephalopods, but just the octopi within that and just looking at the neurological implications of how their brains work. So we're becoming very specialized. So when you have a new idea that's breaking new ground, it's often in a very specialized field. And there will be people in the world who are interested in it, but it's often relatively few. It doesn't matter. That's enough usually. Um, let's say about a dozen people may be interested in your concept. But the trouble is, we have no idea where they are. And finding them is difficult because if we announce it, then we're giving away our trade secrets to the world. So how can we keep it secret and still find the people that are looking for that technology that you've just developed or invented? And basically the answer is three letters. FHE, fully homomorphic encryption. The trouble with traditional encryption is once a document is encrypted, you really can't do anything with it until you decrypt it again. So when you want to search through documents or do something like this, you need to decrypt it. And once it's decrypted, it's exposed again. So hackers can just sit there on the server waiting for a document to decrypt. As soon as it decrypts, they take it. Um, the advantage of fully homomorphic encryption is that you can keep it encrypted, but you can still search for keywords. I won't take the time now to explain how it does that, um, because in, to, to a cryptologist it sounds like magic, but this is indeed what it does. So we invite everyone to register their ideas. It's helpful and, in fact, very important for several reasons. One, it helps them build a track of everything they invent. You know, one tends to think of Fermat and his last theorem. He didn't have time to write it down at the time because he'd found a solution, um, didn't have time to write it down, then died, and the solution wasn't discovered till about 300 years later, just I think about um, a few years ago. So, so that's one benefit. You've, you're recording your ideas as you think of them. Second benefit is you, you prove that you thought of it when you had thought of it. And, um, but the third reason is because using FHE, you can be found. So you encrypt a document, you register it, that gives you the proof of um, inventorship and an attestation trail proving that you had. But other people in the world looking for a certain kind of technology, say relevant to your idea, um, 
they've sent in to us keywords of what they're looking for. And we encrypt those keywords too to maintain their privacy. But we're able to run the encrypted keywords against the encrypted documents that others have put in to see if we find matches and hits. And when we find a match, we notify the person who's looking for the technology and we give them the means to contact the owner of the technology and request access, typically with a signed NDA, which they can do immediately with just a one-click NDA. And then if the other party is willing, then they can send the key to the, um, the person searching for that technology. And with the NDA and the key and the audit trail of when they looked at it, the other party will look at that document, read it, and then if it is indeed something that helps solve their particular problem, then they can um, request a license from the owner of the technology, and the owner of the technology can license it also under an NDA. So that may sound a little complicated. It obviously happens seamlessly. It's just a few clicks for the user. But what's interesting about this is someone in some remote part of the world can have a brilliant idea can register it, protect it, keep it completely secret, yet be found by someone on the other side of the world who has no idea of their existence and whose existence is totally unknown to the inventor um, and request access. So in this way, people who should be working together and collaborating, a process which right now we just leave purely to chance, um, we can actually facilitate. And again, we're not introducing people, we're giving the people the opportunity to introduce themselves to each other. Both parties have to agree to the introduction or it doesn't happen. If the other party, the, the inventing party, isn't comfortable or feels the other entity may be a competitor, they don't have to respond and their confidentiality hasn't been co compromised at all. Let's say someone who does hold the, let's say, patent or intellectual property rights to an invention, they would be able to keep themselves anonymous if they chose to do that and still be able to communicate with, with a potential, let's say, suitor for the use of that technology. Would that be correct? Um, that's correct. Uh, up until the patent is published, and you're often looking at about five years from the, in, the invention itself to when you actually have a patent and it gets published, so for those five years, everything I said applies. It's, it's a trade secret. So they would be able to, and in a sense, market that out there to other potential users while still retaining the pipeline to get that patent for that Exactly. Invention. They don't have to wait five years, and five years is a long time with the current technology cycles. And if someone else independently thinks of the idea, let's say you don't get a patent, you continue to protect as a trade secret, if someone else was to get a patent, if you can prove that you'd invented it first, it potentially, and I say potentially because patent law is always kind of a gray area, um, but it potentially would invalidate that subsequent patent. I see. One of the concepts that you brought up is this idea of what's equivalent of green mail or patent mail, pat mail. You mentioned the four freedoms that Franklin Delano Roosevelt spoke about, the freedom of speech, of religion, from want, and from fear. You mentioned that if you were speaking today, he would talk about the fifth freedom, the freedom to operate or conduct business. Would you please explain this in its relationship to 
ideation and the platform that you provide? It was a term that really wasn't used until quite recently, and it's arisen because it used to be that the CEO would just worry about competition in general, but they felt they could fight that battle in the marketplace. But now they're finding that they're suddenly getting notice that they're infringing a pattern, of often coming from a company they've never heard of, and it has the potential to put them out of business. Fortunately, that's been toned down a little bit. It used to be that the person asserting the patent could get an injunction, as happened with eBay, and, and eBay were in danger of having to shut down their entire business because of a tiny company out of Washington called the Merck Exchange. So this basically is something that CEOs are starting to worry about quite significantly now. Um, the freedom to operate, the f- ability to be able to continue their business without someone asserting a patent against them and telling them they can no longer conduct their business. Um, A classic case was State Street Bank versus Signature Bank. State Street, old, long-term bank, suddenly was told they couldn't do business the way they were doing it anymore because Signature Bank had a patent on the process that they'd been using. You mentioned the business model for this. Who was the audience for this besides someone who might hold the rights to an invention, or a company that might be utilizing a certain process or technology? I I think a large group of people. First of all, yes, you've got the poor, neglected, unappreciated inventor who is basically the foundation of our entire economy and they get very little recognition or financial reward for it. Um, But in addition to inventors themselves, you have... You know, in a broader category, researchers, people involved in research and development in various ways, who typically now are moving forward from the frontier of known knowledge, published knowledge. According to Lord Sainsbury, who was the British Minister of Innovation, about 30% of all research and development is totally wasted, reinvented what someone else has already discovered in another lab or sometimes even in the same company. So if we can shift this so that now people can actually search not just for what's been published, but everything that actually exists, regardless of whether they can see it or not. And then if they're thinking about doing research in a new area and they find that someone has already worked in this area, it's just not published yet, they can make a decision about whether they want to continue on their own, collaborate with the other party, Or perhaps if they sign an NDA and can see what the other party is working on, agree to take a different tack to supplement and complement the other research that's been going on in secret. So in this way, we're able to take out that waste, um, 30%, by the way, um, given that we spend $1.6 trillion on R&D annually. 30% means that we'd be saving over half a trillion dollars, not an insignificant saving that could fund an awful lot of new research that is moving on from frontiers that haven't yet been discovered. One of the fellow panelists uh, at the event that we ran last week talked about how blockchain could create an environment of what he called techno-slavery or techno-liberation, conjuring up the idea embodied in the Matrix film where we have this system you know, that... Uh, we are all sort of involved in, to a certain degree, you might look at our current situation and say we're pretty much there, although we still have our, our freedoms, I think, although uh, we, we, we do play our, pay our obeisance to technology. 
looking at the red pill or blue pill or what we're going to take every day. What's your opinion on this dichotomy of blockchain? Um, I, I think it's fascinating. I think the, the blockchain will bring about significant change in, in business, you know, as we mentioned in the talk, initially starting with sort of banking and the disbursement companies like Wells Fargo, um, but ultimately impacting every single kind of business, certainly every business that involves any kind of agency, because the agent is becoming disintermediated in, in a very general way. Now, what this means, we don't know. Um, you could, the optimist would say, well, this just means our economy is more efficient. We're still creating the same wealth, and we can be using that wealth for the benefit of everyone in the same way. It's just that it may not all be coming traditionally in the form of wages as it traditionally has. Um, on the other hand, you could um, imagine a situation where a lot of traditional businesses are put out of business and it causes great economic suffering and could um, potentially cause a recession. So, I mean, I think it could be either of those two outcomes. And I think we have it within our capabilities to steer it to the optimistic outcome. Um, if we plan for it and structure it now, I think it is possible to harness the value of a more efficient process for conducting business and figure out a way that that wealth can be distributed for the benefit of all. And those people who perhaps have found themselves disintermediated, we need to find a new path for them. And we believe that that is possible and such a path does exist. I just came back from several graduation celebrations uh, this weekend. This is uh, now um, a little bit past, this is the season. It's uh, you know past June, uh, many people, many uh, young people are graduating. And uh, I had a nice conversation with one of my nephews about the options that he's pursuing. He's going to get his legal degree uh, fairly soon. And um, I proposed the idea of pursuing intellectual property law, uh, to which he replied, that's a rather boring area. So I'd like to ask you, since this is your area of focus, uh, what makes this an exciting field to work in? Well, I remember a quote from my old chemistry master when I'd commented that something was boring, he said, Graham, only the boring are bored. <laughs> um, I, I, I would disagree with you, nephew. I, I think it is a very interesting area. It can be dull if, if you're just cranking out patents, but you know, when you think about it, you're working with ideas. You're, starting, you're working with inventors who are always interesting characters in their own right. I have a whole chapter on my book on the psychopathology of invention. And you're working with early stage ideas and helping shape them and form them. So I, I think it's an interesting area of law, and, and I think it would be a good one to follow. Well, certainly I think that uh, if you look at blockchain itself and the idea that this has spawned, I mean, the idea for this type of technology uh, dates back um, about 20 years ago, and then um, Satoshi Nakamoto invented this. And if I go back to a year ago, when I was first exposed to the idea of what blockchain was and its potential in our conversation, and I think now about how much this has exploded and grown in its use, so much of this is in the background that we don't see, and so much of it will continue to be that way, that it will be below the surface that people won't be exposed to, but uh, will have its ramifications uh, for our economy, our society, in many ways. 
I want to thank you very much again for coming on the podcast. You're very welcome. We spoke with Douglas Graham, who is CEO of Ideation Incorporated, a company that is building an enterprise resource platform using blockchain for managing innovation in enterprises and funding early stage innovation. Find out more about our programs, including our MS in Enterprise Risk Management, at our website, www.yu.edu forward slash K-A-T-Z or CATS. We would like to hear your feedback on our podcasts, so please send us any questions or comments to us at CATSpodcast, K-A-T-Z-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at yu.edu. Thanks for listening.